Um, so this month, um, I want to take a what what can only be the most cursory um, of glances at the um, Mangalacharan, um, the invocation um, of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And so that constitutes the first three verses. We know from the first chapter of Chaitanya Charitamrita where <clears throat> where Srila Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami explains the first um, several verses of Chaitanya Charitamrita. He says the Mangalacharan cons uh, consists of three elements. One is Namaskar, uh, the second is Vastu Nirdesha, and the third is Ashirvada. So Namaskar means um, the offering of obeisances. And, and this is a fairly, the offering of respect to the, uh, maybe the deity uh, of, of the text is a kind of a, mm, uh, it's a kind of a literary convention that's, that's not uh, limited um, to Sanskrit um, or Indian literature. Um, we see that in the epics, the ancient epics of, of Europe as well. And, um, and we see it, I mean, that was kind of a convention of an epic, of, of an epic was that there's, there is a, um, uh, an offering of respect to the muse, to that person, <clears throat> that personality who inspired the writing. Um, of that particular epic. Um, and we see that even in more modern um, epic poetry, such as John Milton's, in English, John Milton's Paradise Lost. He opens up by um, <coughs> acknowledging that his muse um, is God. And um, so he, he, you know, he begins Paradise Lost <clears throat> by offering respect um, to the Lord. So. Excuse me, of course. <clears throat> of course, I'm speaking before an audience, so it's required that my voice uh, fail me, betray me. <clears throat> so I hope this doesn't become an ongoing struggle throughout the rest of the hour. Um, so the uh, namaskar, um, uh, offering of obeisances to the, to the deity um, of the text. And then the uh, uh, Vastu Nirdesha. Vastu Nirdesha is a statement of the objective as Srila Krishna, as Srila Prabhupada translates it in, in Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's kind of like, <clears throat> it's kind of like the thesis statement. It, um, and with the Bhagavatam, especially, um, we'll take a look at this in a couple of minutes and discuss it much more in a couple of weeks. Uh, in, in, in the Bhagavatam, the Vastu Nirdesha Shloka is the second shloka, and it states the objective. Um, it, it, it tells us just exactly what the Bhagavatam is, is going to accomplish, but it also tells us who is uh, uh, the most suitable audience for the Bhagavatam, who uh, is most likely to be able to um, appreciate Srimad Bhagavatam. 
Um, so that will, that's the second shloka. And then the third shloka is Ashirvad, um, the benediction, um, the offering of blessings. The third shloka tells us, the, the, the Ashirvad tells us what um, is the result, what, what are the benefits um, of engaging with this particular text. So when I say I want to take a glimpse at the, um, uh, the Mangalacharan uh, of Srimad Bhagavatam, um, what I'm talking about are the first uh, three texts um, of the Bhagavatam. So let me do a, see if I can do a share here. Wait, what is that about? Oh, I see. So um, <clears throat> we'll take a quick look at the first three texts. And then uh, my plan is uh, to discuss um, different things about the first text uh, this week and next week. So this week we'll take a look at the we'll take a look at the the three texts of the Mangalacharan together, and then we'll um, uh, I'd like to focus on um, a couple of uh, maybe more general things um, about the first text about the uh, Namaskar verse, um, especially through uh, the lens of Srila Prabhupada's purport, but also <clears throat> excuse me. Some things about this very first text that indicate that this is uh, that the Srimad Bhagavatam, or as it's often known, the Mahabhagavata Purana, is unique even among uh, Vedic texts, even among um, even among Bhakti texts, especially among the Puranas. Um, so we'll take a look at, at some of that, and as well as um, a, a couple of the points that Srila Prabhupada makes um, in his purport um, to this text. So first, let's take a look at these, at these first three texts. So text one, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Janmad Yasya Yaton Vayaditaras Chartesh Vabhigyasvarat, Tene Brahma, Ridaya de Kavye, Muhyanti Yatsuraya, Tejovari Murdung Yata Vinimayo, Yatra Trisargo Mursha, Tamna Svena Sada Nirasta Kuhakam Satyang Paranti Mahi. Through the Prabhupada's translation, I'll have to get all these other things out of the way now so that I can read it. I can remember how to do that. So Srila Prabhupada translates this first text. O my Lord, Sri Krishna, son of Vasudeva, O all-pervading personality of Godhead, I offer my respectful obeisances unto you. I meditate upon Lord Sri Krishna because he is the absolute truth and the primeval cause of all causes of the creation, sustenance, and destruction 
of the manifested universes. He is directly and indirectly conscious of all manifestations, and he is independent uh, because there is no other cause uh, beyond him. It is he only who first imparted the Vedic knowledge unto the heart of Brahmaji, the original living being. By him, even the great sages and demigods are placed into illusion as one is bewildered by the illusory representations of water seen in fire or land seen on water. <clears throat> Only because of him do the material universes temporarily manifested by the reactions um, of the three modes of nature appear factual, although they are unreal. I therefore meditate upon him, Lord Sri Krishna, who is eternally present in the transcendental abode, which is forever free from the illusory representations of the material world. I meditate upon him, for he is the absolute truth. Then the second text. Dharma projitakaitavotra paramo nirmatsaranam satam, vedyam vastapamatravastu shivadam tapatrayon mulana. Srimad Bhagavate Mahamuni Kute, King Vaparai Rishwaraha, Sadyohrid Yavarudhyate, Trakurtabi Sushushapistachanat. Completely rejecting all religious activities which are materially motivated, this Bhagavad Purana propounds the highest truth which is understandable by those devotees who are fully pure in heart. The highest truth is reality distinguished from illusion or the welfare of all. Such truth uproots the threefold miseries. This beautiful Bhagavatam compiled by the great sage Vyasadeva in his maturity is sufficient in itself for God realization. What is the need of any other scripture? As soon as one attentively and submissively, here's the message of the Bhagavatam. By this culture of knowledge, the Supreme Lord is established within the heart. And then the third text. Nigamakalpa taror galitam palam shukamukaram ritadrava samyutam pibata bhagavatam rasamalayam muhuraho rasika bhuvi pavukaha. Oh, thoughtful men, relish Srimad Bhagavatam, the mature fruit of the desire tree of Vedic literatures. It emanated from the lips of Shukadeva Goswami. Therefore, this fruit has become even more tasteful, although its nectarian juice was already relishable for all, including liberated souls. So this, uh, these three texts constitute the Mangalacharan. The first text, a namaskar. The second text, uh, Bastu Nirdesha. And the third text, um, the um, Ashirvad, or the blessing. And what is that blessing? We'll talk about that um, in our, our, our last meeting. But it's a, uh, essentially um, that um, if we hear this properly, uh, we will become intoxicated by the message of Srimad Bhagavatam. We'll talk at that. Guru Maharaj uh, Swami Tripurari has spoken of this many times, um, and uh, we'll have a little 
fun discussing that verse in um, three weeks from now. So one thing that we see right off the bat, especially those who are more familiar with um, with the um, bhakti text, with the, the uh, scriptures of India, um, especially the Puranas, is that the Bhagavatam is unique among even among the Puranas. Um, so there are a few things that um, that point that out. One is the language is more um, complex, more difficult. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Vedic language that we don't see used in the other Puranas. Uh, rather than classical Sanskrit, we see some Vedic Sanskrit, and we, we'll, we'll take a look at one example of that right here um, in the very first text in the Namaskar verse. Um, so uh, Vedic Sanskrit wasn't generally is, is something that you don't see after the Upanishads and the Samhitas, as far as I understand. I'm not a, a, a Sanskrit scholar. I have maybe dipped my toe in Sanskrit, but uh, it, you know, it's, it, I would love to hear discussion of these three verses from someone like Prabhupada um, um, or um, among the devotees in ISKCON, someone like uh, Radhika Ramana. So, um, or um, there's a, there are a couple of more devotees, Amarendra, there's a devotee named Amarendra and another devotee named Hari Parsha, who are very, wonderful um, uh, scriptural and Sanskrit scholars. And so, um, but you have me. So uh, that's what we've got here. So we have mo much more difficult language. Quite often we'll have words that are unique to the Bhagavatam. I've heard devotees talk about looking up um, uh, a word um, in uh, a standard Sanskrit dictionary like Monier Williams or um, Uptase. And, um, and there's one reference to the use of that word and it's in Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, so there we'll find words in the Bhagavatam that really aren't used elsewhere in Sanskrit. Um, and words that are used more commonly will be used in ways that are quite different um, that are often quite different from the way we might find them used um, in other texts, including um, in the other Puranas. Um, now, I, I mentioned uh, uh, the use of, of Vedic language rather than um, Vedic Sanskrit rather than classical Sanskrit. So we see that here in the very last word uh, of this first text. Satyam parangdhimahi, that last phrase, satyam parangdhimahi. Um, in the other Puranas, the uh, classical Sanskrit for the last word would be something like um, jayam or jayam, something like that. But dhimahi, um, we know uh, that comes from the Gayatri, that, that's a reference to the Gayatri mantra, um, which is a Vedic text. The Gayatri Mantra is uh, found in the Rig Veda, which is the oldest um, of the Vedas. So it's a very um, ancient um, uh, word, an ancient, very ancient uh, usage of this word, a uh, way to use the word uh, to meditate. Uh, let us meditate. It's an imperative. Uh, we, med we meditate on 
um, on the um, I meditate or we meditate on on this absolute truth, satyam param dhimahi. So that's you know kind of one indication of that. Another is uh, another uh, thing that distinguishes the Bhagavatam even from the other Puranas is the great variety of chandas or uh, meters, metrical patterns that are used in the Bhagavatam. In the other Puranas, you'll find um, mostly Anustub and Tristub verses, just like Bhagavad Gita. Um, so um, uh, the, uh, the Anustub verses are the uh, they're the 32 syllable uh, uh, verses. Um, so each pada or quarter, each half line will have eight um, syllables. So janma karma chame dipyam evam yo veti tatpataha chakva dehang punar janma. So like something like that. Um, and then um, then we have um, longer verses, tristub verses in, in, in the Bhagavad Gita. And those usually happen when there's a shift in mood. Uh, we see this uh, where Arjuna, at the beginning, Arjuna is speaking in Anustub verses, and all of a sudden, so he goes into this verse, into this uh, meter with um, 11 syllables per, per, um, per quarter or per pada or half line. So, um, and that's pretty much the extent of it. And, and that, as far as I understand, is also what we're going to find in the uh, most of the other Puranas, uh, uh, mostly uh, Anustub and Tristub verses. However, the Bhagavatam starts right off with one of the longer meters there is. Um, this is a, I mean, there are, there are considerably, there are meters that are longer. There are 16 and 17 meter um, uh, chandas, uh, um, 16 and 17 syllable uh, pada chandas. But this is a fairly long, complicated um, meter that we see here. This is called uh, Shardula Vikriditam, the play of the tiger. And we can see this is a, um, this is a, a weighty, it's a playful and weighty meter. This is the same meter as uh, the Shadgoswami Astakam. So we could chant it. So this is right off the bat, the Bhagavatam kind of announces just just through its form this is something a little different this is something um, a little different now the anustub is a much easier uh, chanda or meter to write because some syllables uh, there, there are certain syllables are designated as being um, uh, long and others as short and others are open others there are other syllables in, in the meter that can be either long or open. But when the Shardula Vikriditam, every syllable is prescribed. Its strength, uh, every syllable's strength is prescribed. So it's is a more um, difficult meter to write. And 
throughout the Bhagavatam, we see quite a, 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 a great variety of meters. One example uh, that we see is the, the Gopi Gita, uh, 31st chapter of the um, 10th canto of the Bhagavatam, right in the middle of the Rasa dance. So this is the, the chapter where after Krishna has abandoned the gopis and abandoned Radharani, all of the gopis gather on the bank of the river to sing um, praises slash complaints slash accusations um, um, of, uh, against Krishna, praising Krishna and accusing him, complaining all at the same time, uh, depending on how the verse is read. And some of those verses we see um, readings from Vishwana Chakravarti Thakur, uh, some that are of great praise and some that are just just plain, just flat out uh, accusations against Krishna. The well, very second verse of, I think it's the second verse of, of the Gopi Gita. They end, uh, the, uh, the Prabhupada's translation ends, or uh, the, the BBT translation ends, isn't this just murder? Um, and we see uh, in another text, like, maybe the ninth text, where there's the, the readings vary to the extent that the uh, recitation of the Bhagavatam is praised as the, as the greatest medicine. Um, but then Vishwanath uh, flips it and says, this could also mean um, poison. Tavakatamritam, taptajivana. So tavakatamrita can be read as tavakataamrita or tavakatamritam. Topics of view are nectar, they're deathless, or they're poison, they cause death. So, and the meter itself is so wonderful, tavakatamrita, it's called rajahungsi. It, uh, rajahungsi means like the royal swan. And you can almost kind of um, see the swan swimming on the surface of, of a, a river or a lake um, or a pond when you hear the, uh, the meter. Tavakatamritam taptajivanam. So um, there's this wonderful variety of meters um, throughout the Bhagavatam. And then we see in the fifth canto, there are also sections which are prose, which is interesting. Um, that's a, pr probably a topic for um, another discussion. Uh, probably best um, led by someone like Bhagupad or Hari Parshad or, or uh, Amarindra, someone like that, who actually um, knows um, Sanskrit. So, um, right at the right at the outset, with this very first verse, uh, the Bhagavatam announces this is a different matter, just as Narada Muni says later, uh, I think in the fifth chapter of the first canto. This is a completely, this Bhagavatam is a completely different creation. So, um, so we see that right here in the very first verse. This is not some Anastub verse or even a Tristub verse. Um, this is Shardula Vikriditam, which is a very um, uh, um, a kind of amazing um, and, and difficult meter um, in which to compose because, uh, because it's long, complicated padas in which the strength of every, each syllable is, is prescribed. There's no uh, wiggle room for the meter here.
Okay, so that, that's a little bit about the form. And then the substance of the text. Um, oh, my Lord Sri Krishna, son of Vasudev, oh, all pervading personality of Godhead, I offer my respectful obeisances unto you. I meditate upon Lord Sri Krishna because he is the absolute truth and the primeval cause of all causes of the creation, sustenance, and destruction of the manifested universes. He is directly and indirectly conscious of all manifestations, and he is independent because there's no other cause beyond him. So these are some pretty strong statements. Um, Krishna, the son of Vasudev, is the all-pervading personality of Godhead. And we see um, that in his purport, this is a very strong component, a very um, prominent component of Srila Prabhupada's commentary on this first verse of Srimad Bhagavatam. Krishna is the original person. He is a personality. And he is all-pervading. And he is the cause of all causes, uh, not just the cause of creation, but he is the cause of the causes of creation and the cause of the causes of sustenance and the cause of the causes of destruction of all the manifested universe. So we tend um, to think in terms in um, our religious lives, um, especially before contacting uh, Gaudiya Vedanta, you know, our tendency is to think of God as the creator of the universe. But the Bhagavatam tells us he's not just the creator of the universe. He's the cause of the creator of the universe. He is the source um, of the creator of the universe. The original person, um, Brahma, comes um, from a, uh, uh, an expansion um, of an expansion of Krishna. So Krishna is the, he's the root uh, of all existence. He's the root of, of creation. He's the root of sustenance, maintenance, and he's also the root um, of destruction. So we tend to think of God as the cause of the creator of the universe, but we see in the Bhagavatam how small a thing that is to be the creator of the universe. You know, we see this in the 13th and 14th chapters, especially of the 10th canto, uh, where Lord Brahma uh, tries to play a trick on Krishna, tries to kind of test his godness, I guess, um, and, um, and, and finds, out, finds himself being completely bewildered by Krishna's inconceivable potencies. So he tries, as we know, we try, he tries to steal, he steals Krishna's calves and cowherd boyfriends. And, um, oh, excuse me. And he hides them away. And then he comes back after a moment of his time, of course, uh, because time is relative. Um, he comes back, to, but comes back after a moment of his time to see what fun he's caused um, by his mischief. And what does he see? He sees Krishna and his calves and his coward boyfriends. And he's thinking, what? And he goes back to check and there they are snoozing in this cave where he stashed them. 
and then he comes back again and he sees and then he sees that they all be all the uh, uh, cowherd boys and all the calves, they become four-armed Vishnu forms. And then these Brahmas, all these different Brahmas come and offer their obeisances. And some of them have four heads, some of them have 10 heads, some of them have a hundred heads, some of them have a thousand heads. Now our Brahma has four heads. So all of a sudden he's confronted with what a small thing it is to be the creator of this universe, because there are obviously much greater universes than this, because there are Brahmas who are, have, who are required to have even greater intelligence than his. And then, excuse me, Again, in the fourteenth chapter, in the Brahmas, uh, you know, in, in the Brahma Stotram, he's he um, he admits, "I'm just, you know, I'm just a little guy, um, trapped in this pot that's measured by like seven spans of my hand or something like that," um, and, and you know, and, and you know. And that pot, you know, that's trapped inside this little pot of a universe. And all the universes are passing through the pores of your body like motes of dust pass through a screen. And, and so he's, you know, he, he um, uh, there, Brahma, the creator of our universe, um, makes quite clear what a small thing it is to be a creator uh, the creator of, of, of the universe, especially a universe like ours, it's small. But even the great universes, still, they pass through the pores of Mahavishnu's body, who is an expansion of an expansion uh, from Krishna. You know, there are a couple, uh, what do we have this game? Uh, six degrees of seven bacon or uh, Kevin Bacon or something like that. So where they, they try to uh, connect any celebrity or, or maybe it's just movie stars I don't remember now um, by uh, you know how close how close you can uh, how many steps you have to take to connect them with this one uh, uh, movie actor so um, so Krishna's you know Krishna the original personality of Godhead Vasudev is removed a couple of times even from the source of the creator of the universe. Um, so this is such a such a small thing. So we see that we're talking about an entity who's inestimably greater than anything we can imagine. I guess that's almost that's sort of redundant. Um, but uh, I think it, I think the redundancy is there to make the point. Just like you know, repeating deliberately to make a, you know, to emphasize something. So um, I lost my place here now. So this is this is um, um, such a huge thing. Um, he is the cause of all the causes of creation, uh, sustenance and destruction of the manifested universes. Um, so this is, this is something that we don't find anywhere else. I remember um, being um, a little boy. I was probably six or seven years old. Um, and uh, at that time, when I, when I was little like that, uh, my uh, immediate family, my nuclear family, lived in this town in California called Lompoc. 
And at the time it was a small, mostly um, agricultural uh, community. There was a lot of farming. There were um, several flower seed companies were based there. Alampo Valley is known as the Valley of the Flowers and every June, I think, um, Lompokans have a flower festival. Every place has to have some kind of festival, I guess. So in Lompoc, they have this week-long flower festival. This is, and this is when all the flowers for the flower seed companies are in bloom. And many of the fields are planted in, in um, patterns that were, you know, colorful patterns. Um, and uh, there's a big parade, I think, on the Saturday of, of the week. There's a marathon nowadays. I don't, there wasn't a marathon back when I was a little boy. So I grew up in this little, little town and my family was one of the founding families. One of the fam my great great grandfather um, was, among other things, uh, a surveyor, and he actually laid out the original streets um, for the original city of Lompoc back in the 1870s, early 18 earlier mid 1870s. And so, because we were a prominent family in town, even though my father was an agnostic. Um, we went to church. We went to church every Sunday. Um, well, my father didn't always go to church. My father was also a scuba diver. So quite often, especially during certain seasons like lobster season or abalone season or something like that, he would, uh, he and his friends would go uh, diving uh, and they would leave early in the morning. But the rest of us went to church every week and I went to Sunday school. And um, and our minister, because we were from a prominent family, big fish in a very small pond, I guess, um, the minister from our church would come regularly, come to dinner at our home. We would, my dad and mom would invite him to our home for dinner. And one evening after dinner, I remember we were sitting, um, I was sitting on the couch in the living room with the minister, his name was Mr. McGee. And, um, and I had two questions for him. Now, I was six or seven years old. I, can, I can't tell you where these questions came from or, or how, how it made any sense that, you know, that I was asking these questions. And there's, I've got a counter, something to counter any uh, ideas about any spiritual precociousness uh, that I'll share as soon as I tell this. But I was sitting on the couch with, uh, you know, and mom and dad and Mr. McGee were all having coffee. And I was sitting on the couch with Mr. McGee and I asked him two things. One, what, what is God like? And the other thing was, what are we supposed to do? Because we're here. What are we supposed to do with our lives? Now, I mean, I was a dopey kid. I don't know where those questions come from, but I do remember that they um, caught Mr. McGee quite by surprise and he had no uh, response for that. Um, he, he, had, he just didn't, he had nothing. Uh, now, the counter uh, story to that is that on another visit, during another visit, um, I think I was probably, I know, I'm pretty certain I was six during this first visit, uh, this other visit. Um, before dinner, we would say a prayer because it was a custom. Um, but we would generally refer to it as the dinner prayer. Um, but somehow or other, 
uh, I don't remember whether it was my mother or father, father decided that they would wanted to show me off because I was a smart little kid, I guess. But um, so we all bowed our heads and then either my mom or dad said, Billy, would you like to say grace? And I was stumped by that for a moment. And then I, I think I understood from the context, the fact that we were all bowing our heads, that this may be um, another way of referring to the dinner prayer. Um, but there's also a little bit of wiseacre, well, more than a little bit of wiseacre in me. I often will uh, blurt out quite inappropriate things. Sometimes they're funny, sometimes they just embarrass the entire human race. But um, so we were sitting there and I was trying to figure out what in the heck to do. And I ended up um, with everybody bowing, with, with their heads bowed very solemnly, I ended up saying the word grace. And Reverend McGee started laughing so hard that he darn near fell out of his chair. So lest anyone um, uh, assume from these two interesting questions that I asked at, on another occasion that I was terribly spiritually precocious, um, I was also just a dopey little kid and I don't know where they came from. But the, the point of, of that is that conventional dharma, conventional religion doesn't have answers for these questions. It really doesn't. Uh, we, we just, uh, you know, I went to church my whole childhood, um, even after um, I left home, after I joined the Navy. I, I would actually, is a fact that um, starting the, the year we moved away from uh, Lompoc, we moved to the Los Angeles, uh, suburban Los Angeles, the San Fernando Valley, when um, the, during the summer when I turned nine, summer between our third grade and fourth grade. And um, once we were away from Lompoc, dad didn't go to church because he didn't have to. It was okay for him to go diving um, early in the morning and uh, with his friends. And um, mom, well, she had three kids to watch and it was too much trouble to get them all ready and, and, and uh, take care of them at church and make sure they got to Sunday school or what. So I actually, after the age, starting from the age of nine, I was the only person in my family who went to church regularly. I think when I was a teenager, my dad would take me to church um, because I couldn't drive until I was 16. But um, that was the only reason he went to church and he stopped actually. <laughs> when they started bothering him too much about tithing. I, I remember uh, a couple of men from the church coming over to our home one evening and sitting down to talk to my dad about tithing. And he just, you know, he was polite, but told them he just wasn't, he wasn't interested um, that mainly he was bringing me to church. And if I wanted to tithe, that was my business from my allowance, but um, he wasn't going to. And that was kind of like the last straw for him. I had to find a closer church than that to go to so that I could walk or get a ride with one of my friends, I guess. So um, they just don't have answers for these questions. And even the church that I went to as a, as a teenager, 
Um, I, I became an Episcopalian as a teenager because I met an Episcopal priest who was very ecumenical, very embracing of all Christian faiths. And, and um, that appealed to me um, very strongly. Um, but still, there were no answers to those existential questions. What's God like? What are we supposed to do with our lives? That's just not there. We just don't, we just don't see it. Um, instead, we see what, what is dismissed, um, strongly dismissed in the second text um, of the Bhagavatam. We see um, religiousness, religiosity, uh, you know, the idea of becoming virtuous, uh, either for its own sake or so the uh, Dharma Artha, so that we can get ahead in the world. And why do we want to get ahead in the world so that we can enjoy and eventually we want to become free from suffering. So we see what the Bhagavatam refers to as cheating dharma, kaitava dharma, and, and pretty much nothing else, um, at, you know, at least um, as far as I could see uh, until, you know, until I was like 2021 when I started trying, I really seriously trying to understand Bhagavad Gita. And then when I was uh, 21, I met the devotees and uh, began studying Bhagavad Gita seriously. Uh, and that, of course, um, in, introduced me and drew me into studying Srimad Bhagavatam. So the, he's the cause of all the causes of the creation, uh, sustenance and destruction of the manifested universes. He's directly and indirectly conscious of everything. Srila Prabhupada points out in his purport that the chief engineer, the chief architect and, the, and, 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 and engineer of a building, they understand everything that needs to be there in the building, but they don't, they're not directly involved with the, you know, the air conditioning and HVAC and you know, the wiring and all these different things. Um, they, have the, they create this broad picture of what needs to be, you know, what needs to be done and how. Um, but they don't necessarily involve themselves in every detail. They delegate responsibility for different details. But Krishna, who is at once aloof from the whole business, also is intimately involved. Um, we see this especially from the second canto of the Bhagavatam, beginning from the second canto of the Bhagavatam, where we're introduced to the uni uh, universal form of the Lord, and we're we're given we're we're, we're um, introduced to this uh, uh, panentheistic idea of achintya beta beta tattva, that Krishna is simultaneously and through his inconceivable potencies, simultaneously um, transcendent, simultaneously absolutely completely aloof from, from, from the material existence, and at the same time identical with it. And, and this idea, this achintya beta beta tattva, is not something that's created by Jiva Goswami. It's not an idea that was created by Lord Chaitanya. It's not even an idea, an idea that was um, introduced in the Srimad Bhagavatam. It comes, as we see in the second canto, it comes from the, from the Rig Veda Sanghitas, from the Purusha Sukta, which comes from the Rig Veda. The Purusha Sukta hymn is one of the Rig Veda Sanghitas, one Rig Veda hymns. And the Rig Veda, as I mentioned earlier, is the oldest of the Vedas. So this, this idea, uh, he's directly and indirectly conscious of all the manifestations. And then he's independent, he's Svarat, Svatantra. 
He's completely independent. It's uh, uh, Vishwana Chakravarti Thakur's Madhurya Kadambani makes a somewhat extended argument to, um, to show just how independent Krishna is. And he does that so that he can make the point that Bhakti is every bit as independent as Krishna, that she's able to go where she wants, but here's how she, he shows that how she works is that she takes shelter in the heart of the bhaktas and those madhyama bhaktas who are inclined to share their bhakti with others. Um, they become her guide as to which hearts she should enter. Wherever they show their mercy, she follows their lead. So he's completely independent. And it's he who imparted the uh, Vedic knowledge into the heart of Brahma, the original living being. Uh, it's, it's he who places even great sages and devatas into illusion. Only because of him do the material universes, which are temporarily manifested and uh, are fleeting, not just, it's not just this, you know, uh, you know, when we when we think of uh, like the like the ephemera used by astrologers, it's, ephemera means those things that are passing, those things that come and go. Um, and here's when they happen, and then we understand according to our different training and understanding of how to read these things, we understand what they indicate. Um, but the whole universe is ephemera. The whole universe is going to the whole cosmic manifestation is going to wind back up into the body of Mahavishnu is an expansion of an expansion of, of Krishna. Couple, a couple of steps removed. Any minute now. You know, he's breathing out for a time and then he's going to breathe in and everything is wound up and becomes completely unmanifested. And all of this, all of this indicates, as Srila Prabhupada points out, using what Jiva Goswami refers to in the Paramatma Sandarbha as stuna nikananyaya, the logic of pounding the post, that Krishna, Vasudev, is the original supreme personality of Godhead, that the absolute truth is personal, and that the original cause of all causes, not just the causes of creation, but the causes of sustenance and destruction, is a person. And this is that the post that Srila Prabhupada pounds repeatedly um, through, throughout, his, um, uh, for, throughout his purport to this first verse. He keeps coming back to this, denigrating the perceptions of the Mayavadins and, and the Buddhists and others who think that the, you know, that the original source, the absolute, can't be a person. Somehow that limits the absolute truth. But whereas what they can't see is that, that they are imposing a limit uh, on the origin of everything. So Srila Prabhupada points this out um, repeatedly in his very long purport, which I didn't re really leave myself a lot of time to um, um, talk about. But um, there are a couple of things that I want to, uh, that I do want to touch on. One is in the first paragraph, he's talking about Krishna, the absolute personality of Godhead, and it must be, it has to be the name indicated by the word Krishna, Vasudev, the son of Vasudev. He appears where the atmosphere is this pure, is as pure as Vasudev's heart. Vasudev means 
pure, the, the platform of purified goodness, shuddhasattva. So this is a, a, a goodness completely uncontaminated by um, any tinge of passion um, or ignorance. And in Srila Prabhupada says this is confirmed by Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita and also by great sages like Narada, Vyasa and others, as Arjuna himself points out. And then in the Padma Purana, Srila Prabhupada points out, it is also stated that out of the innumerable names of the Lord, the name of Krishna is the principal one. And the Padma Purana is accepted by many scholars as um, uh, among the oldest of the Puranas. Vasudeva indicate, indicates the plenary portion of the personality of Godhead. So this is, you know, so the Mahavishnu is an expansion of an expansion of the plenary uh, portion um, of the personality of Godhead. So it's quite, uh, quite amazing. And then, Vedic literatures. Srila Prabhupada refers to these people, uh, people who don't understand the Bhagavatam, don't approach it correctly. In, uh, in one paragraph, he re refers to them as unscrupulous persons, the, the sahajis who want to go directly to the tenth canto and especially to the rasa pancha jayi, the five chapters that describe the rasa dance. But Srila Prabhupada points out that you know, we actually have to um, approach it in a systematic way. And then he says, the Srimad Bhagavatam is the narration of the Swarupa of the Lord. So we see the very beginning, Janmadi, uh, Janma Adi, the very beginning of the text, Janma Adi. We're talking about birth and the other things. In other words, um, this is a reference to the Vedanta Sutra, but it also evokes the idea that we're going to find out what God's like and what he does. And as we see, um, especially with the second canto, Maharaj Prickett's um, essential question, what is our duty as human beings? What is the duty of someone who is on the verge of death? And that's all of us. I, mean, I have to, I'm 74 and a half years old. Um, that's pretty old. I couldn't have, I don't think I could have imagined myself being that old when I first became a devotee. I might have imagined that, oh, okay, so maybe I'll have less hair, I'll have more wrinkles, um, and uh, won't be able to run as fast or swim um, as, as long um, as, as I did when I was 20. But there's a whole lot else going on, I can tell you, frankly. Um, so, uh, you know, Every morning when I wake up, um, it's, 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 a, it's like a miracle. Um, my younger sister uh, uh, passed away at the age of 56. I have many friends. I, I, we, have, we have friends, uh, I'm just thinking in the last year, um, since the passing of Karna, uh, Hamsa Avatar, Karnamrita, um, my friend Rajendra Nandana, in San Diego, and our um, our beloved Dulal Chandra, I mean, this is at least four people who are with whom I was close friends, um, whom I've lost in the last year, and they're all younger than I. <laughs> and so it's like a miracle every morning when I wake up alive. I think, oh, okay, wow, that's amazing. Somehow or other, I've got a whole, you know, I've got maybe a whole uh, other day ahead of me. 
So, um, so this is, you know, we're all on the verge of death. So, you know, these two, these questions are answered. These existential questions are answered in the Bhagavatam. What's God like? And what's our business as human beings? Um, and then there's another point that I, I wanted to make sure I touched on. Oh, I missed the paragraph. Oh, this one. In the Vedic literatures, it is said that the absolute truth personality of Godhead is the chief amongst all the personalities, all living personalities, all living beings, beginning from the first created being, Brahma, down to the smallest ant, are individual living beings. And above Brahma, there are even other living beings with individual capacities. And the personality of Godhead is also a similar living being. And he, as an individual, as, as are the other living beings. But the Supreme Lord or the Supreme Living Being has the greatest intelligence. Um, and, um, oops, where did I, uh, and he possesses supermost uh, inconceivable energies of all different varieties. And where's the sentence that I'm looking for? Oh, he is an individual as the other living beings. So this is the, a big, this is like the one post that Srila Prabhupada um, keeps pounding throughout this purport, um, that uh, the topic of this text of Srimad Bhagavatam is the uh, birth and activities of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the cause of all causes of all the material manifestations, not just of the creation of the material manifestation, but of its destruction, that he is completely independent. He's beyond anything that we can actually even imagine. And that this is going to be an extraordinary text, just as we see in, in the fifth and sixth chapters, where we see in the fifth chapter where, where Vyasadeva is depressed. He's bummed out. He's done all this wonderful work. He's uh, he's uh, compiled, you know, the Vedas and, um, and, and the Puranas and the Itihasas, and still he doesn't feel satisfied. And Narada Muni says, of course you don't feel satisfied. Here's what's missing. A, texts, a text that glorifies exclusively devotional uh, service to Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, without any distractions. And all these other things, they, uh, he, uh, he refers to all the other texts um, that uh, Vyasadeva has created, especially with, uh, 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 by comparison to, to what he's about to create, the Srimad Bhagavatam, as Jagupsitam, detestable. It's not that the Mahabharata in itself is inherently detestable, or the Vedas, or any of the Puranas, but to the extent that they're missing um, direct glorification of, of exclusive Krishna bhakti, then they can be seen as detestable. So this, um, everything from the very first text tells us this Srimad Bhagavatam is going to be something quite different. Okay, so next week, um, I'm, I'm, I've run out of time. Um, and next week, I would like to take a look at the first text, um, through the lens of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentary on this verse, 
in which he suggests four different ways to read the text. Quite, it's going to be um, quite wonderful. And and one reason I, um, Padmanabha Maharaj asked me, are, are you up for another month? Uh, you know, the devotees would like you back for February. And so I said, oh, gosh, I have to think of what I could do. And then I thought, oh, maybe I can do these first three texts. Just a quick look at these first three texts. There's no way in the world we can do them justice in four hours. But just a, just a kind of a quick text to see, um, just to get a sense of what an amazing, how these first three texts indicate right from the get-go, what an amazing um, a t a liter piece of literature is the Srimad Bhagavatam. So um, next week, I want to take a look at, again, at the first text um, through the lens of these four um, different explanations suggested by Vishwanath Chakraparthi Thakur. And I, and I thought this would be good for me. That's why I decided to, uh, to do this, this this month. Not only would I get your company, but this would be very salutary. This would be very good um, for my spiritual progress. Okay, I'll stop and see if there are any questions. Uh, Quick questions or comments. Again, now well, now we've paired ourselves down to a very intimate group, and I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by um, Jagamohan's picture. I'm sitting here, um, a little chilly in Hawaii because it is 67 and a half degrees Fahrenheit, which is 19 and a half degrees Celsius in my hut. Um, and, um, and and I know that the whole east coast of the United States, the whole eastern seaboard of the United States, and now the rest of the country is being buried um, by cold, uh, by snow and, and plunged into very cold temperatures. So I'm feeling like a little bit of a sissy seeing Jagamohan's picture. Quick questions or comments, anyone? There are a couple comments in the chat. Oh, okay, let me, let me, Open the chat back up. Oh, I don't see them. Why don't I see? I see something. Oh, that was last week. Jagamohan's explaining the picture. Yeah. Yeah, last weekend you guys got clobbered. Now the rest of the country is getting it, I guess, in the Midwest. Maharaj? Yes. Will you, will you explain more about the, the origin of Achintya Veda Veda from the Rig Veda or, or was that it? Or can you say something? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we, we, when we're first introduced to Achintya Veda Veda Tattva, we may think this is something that, um, um, you know, that's a, that it's an idea of Jiva Goswami's because he was such a brilliant philosopher, or perhaps he got it from, from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, or maybe Mahaprabhu got it from the Bhagavatam because we see it right there in the second canto. And, and where it's, where it's uh, presented most uh, explicitly is in the chapter called Purusha Sukta Explained. And the Purusha Sukta prayers is part of the Rig Veda Sanghitas. Um, one of the, one of the, uh, it's among the hymns presented in the Rig Veda. So I would have, to, gosh, I'd have to go back 
maybe to the purports and commentaries on on the um, on especially that chapter. I think it's the sixth chapter uh, of the second canto. I can't remember now. It's been a while. We're in the middle. Of, we're well. We're not not in the middle of the third chapter. We're a third canto. We're we are kind of. We're actually on fifth uh, uh, chapter fifteen of the third canto now. So it's been a lot, and I've given especially uh, I've given a lot of classes, especially the last maybe two months. We had a um, uh, we had a wave of COVID go through the, the center where I'm staying here. And I found myself giving class almost every day to one other person uh, because everyone else was sick or quarantined for one reason or another. Um, so I'd have to go back up for a more detailed thing. Maybe I can um, maybe I can get get that ready for next week. Is that okay? okay. Yeah, sounds good. And there's one last comment from Jagamohan there, if you didn't see it. <clears throat> uh, we just started. Oh, okay. Oh, you just started the Bhagavatam. Oh, oh, so you're. Uh, you and, and Shamarupa are uh, back in the first canto of the Bhagavatam. So yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So much of this, so a lot of this will probably seem um, somewhat uh, familiar to you because it's it's something that you've read um, only recently, not months or maybe even a couple of years ago uh, when you were in the first canto. Um, Okay, great. Thank you. And, and it's, it's nice to see you. I miss you guys. Um, I miss uh, Shamananda and Sakirati as well. Um, but here we are. We miss you too. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's <laughs> uh, nice to hear. Um, fortunately, I'm kept out of trouble by um, creating um, little projects for myself here. One of the things that I'm doing uh, uh, I've been giving since last year. We had a, 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 a young woman, youngish woman, mid 30s, uh, move into the temple. She came from Minnesota. She's actually from Europe. She's from Ukraine. Um, but she came to the temple and quite a really, really, really serious devotee in a lot of ways. She's also kind of a sweet, lighthearted person. Um, but I started uh, uh, studying the nectar of devotion with her and other uh, newer devotees. And now I'm working on preparing her and a couple of other of the newer devotees to give Bhagavad Gita classes so that we actually have, you know, that what we generally refer to as an ISKCON sandwich. We actually go back to having a morning and an evening program um, here at the center in Honolulu. Um, which a lot of devotees think is, is, is really cool. So I've been working with them. And we've had the evening and we've had the evening program. We've kind of been the evening shift. We have our meetings to discuss how we're getting ready for them to, to teach Bhagavad Gita um, uh, before the evening RT. And then we go and have Kirtan together during the evening RT. And sometimes it's only three or four of us, but it's still just really nice that. It's not so quiet in the temple in the evening when, when that RT is going on as it had been um, because of this crazy last couple of years we've had. 
So the devotees have engaged me and I've been creating engagements for myself and that's kept me um, from getting into too much trouble. And so even though I'm, uh, I, there are so many devotees I miss, I'm, I'm also um, busy enough that um, I don't have a lot of time to fuss over how much I miss the other devotees. I just be grateful for the, um, the opportunities I've had for your company and looking forward to the next Next time, especially if I could then have an opportunity to go to Mad back to Madhuban again. Okay, if there's nothing else, we can adjourn, and uh, I'll go over for the rest to the temple for the rest of the morning program. Thank you all so much. Um, thank you for engaging me like this, and thank you for uh, um, and accompanying me in this little journey that we're going to take over the next couple of weeks for through these through these three verses. Granta Raja Srimad Bhagavatam Kijai, Samaveta Gaura Bhaktivinda Kijai, Hare Krishna. Kipad Bhaktiya Bhai Ashram Maharaj Kijai, Hare Krishna.